Thank you, Pastor John. Uh, I'm excited this morning. I, I love doing this. So um, we're going to look back at the book of uh, Mark, if you will, back to Mark chapter 1. Uh, last time I, I preached, I, I talked from the first few verses of chapter 1, and I want to hit a couple more today. Uh, specifically looking at verse 12, but we'll read um, 10 through 20. And, you know, this, uh, it's interesting as I look at the book of, of Mark, it's, it's quite different. You'll notice it's different than maybe the book of Luke. Luke goes through great detail in putting out the gospel. Matthew has um, the first few chapters he just really spends on this birth narrative and, you know, the lineage of Christ. And everyone kind of brings a different perspective. But then you turn to the book of Mark and here in one chapter, he's covered the beginning of Jesus, <laughs> which takes other people 10 chapters or so to do. And, you know, you, you kind of look at it, you're like, oh, great, I'll be quick through this. But the beauty of what I think is happening in Mark's gospel is that it's a lot less descriptive than Matthew's or Mark's, but I love his an intentional limited description because there's an intensity to this. Because of the fact he leaves so much out, that means that we should really focus in and pay attention to what he's leaving there. And he's got a story he wants us to see in this. He's got a narrative that he's building that he wants us to hold. And so let's do that this morning, will we? Let me pray over the word and uh, jump right in. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I just, I want to submit my heart to you and my, my words and my, my mouth this morning that you would use them. God, that you would, as we break the bread, as we break open your word, as we look into it, that you would speak. God, that your words would renown in our hearts and our ears, that the Holy Spirit, you would come and do that which you are really good at. You make your son, you make the son, you make Jesus center. You elevate Jesus, you lift him up, you make him known. And I ask that you would do that in your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in, in, uh, starting in verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels ministered to him. Now, if you look at this, we'll stop there. Mark gives two verses to this temptation of Jesus Christ. And I want us to kind of look at this this morning, specifically to the idea that the Spirit drove or forced or pushed Jesus into the wilderness. Um, it's very interesting language, I think, that Mark uses here, very interesting tone that he brings to us. And he gives us a very short account. And so there are a few details that we can look to and I think glean a lot from it. Um, and as we focus on this, Jesus in the wilderness, I think it's important just to keep it in mind of the context of where this sits. You'll see that 9 through 11, Mark talks about the baptism of Jesus. 12 through 13 is the temptation of Jesus. 14 through 15, Jesus begins his ministry. 16 through 20, Jesus calls his first disciples. Now, as you look at this, this would appear as four separate stories, wouldn't it? Four separate stories, you would think. But I think what Mark wants us to see here, it's, it's a bigger picture. It's four stories that make up a bigger picture. It's kind of like when you're home watching TV and you got 12 episodes of a series. And if you miss one of them, you've like missed 
what's going on, right? If you ever come in at the end or you've missed a couple weeks of a show and you turn it on, you're like, I don't have a clue what's going on. Where's this guy? Who's this person? You know, when do they show up? And so there's, this is a huge story. And I think we take all these and we put them together, it gives us a bigger picture. And I think what Mark wants us to see is that Jesus' experience here is to reveal that he's a better Adam. You see, Adam was created in the wilderness, and we'll talk more about that tonight. If you come, I want to invite you to come. We'll talk about a little bit more about Jesus being the better Adam. And um, you see, Adam was created in the wilderness, and then God built a garden and put him in it. And then in the wilderness, I mean in the garden, he's tempted by Satan, and he fails. And the second thing I think Mark wants us to see here is that Jesus' experience here is to reveal to us that he's a better Moses. You see, Moses was led into the wilderness by a cloud. And in the wilderness, Israel failed the test. And so as we look, let's look at that. Um, In verse 12, it says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Very interesting language here that, that Mark would use, that the Spirit drove Jesus. Now, the language here is that it's force. Like, the Spirit pushed him, forced him out to the wilderness. Now, why would the Holy Spirit push Jesus into the wilderness? I don't, it, it's not because of, it, there's no sense that we gain from anything in Scripture that the Holy Spirit pushed him because Jesus wasn't willing to go or because Jesus was reluctant. But I think there's an intensity that Mark wants us to see here, that the Spirit drove him. Why? Because here's him being baptized and immediately pushes him to the desert, to the wilderness, to be tempted. Because the Spirit's like, there's something we've got going. There's something, there's a plan. Let's go. Let's go. And I think what Mark wants to see here is, do we have this same intensity that when we feel the leading of the Holy Spirit push us to something, that we jump to it? Because Jesus could have basked in the moment. He could have said, you know, hang on. (laughs) Did you just hear what God said? Like, that was amazing. Like, it was a booming voice. Hey, y'all, listen. Did you see the dove? I mean, he could have basked in that moment. Oh, man, the Spirit is with me. My Father's talking to me. He could have stuck right there, but no. Immediately, he comes out of the water and he gets up and goes. Now, I don't want to steal from the thunder tonight, but a little bit to that, it's, uh, it's a little history. And if you, if you read through historical accountings, when ba- John the Baptist was baptizing people, that when they came out of the water, they would confess their sins. Like this was a baptism of repentance. And so they would go under the water, they'd be baptized, and they'd come up and they repent. But yet Jesus, he's baptized, he comes up, and immediately he goes into the wilderness. We'll get in that tonight. So that's a teaser for tonight. <laughs> because I want to invite you back. But when we talk about wilderness, like, what comes to your mind? I just, you know, we all kind of have this idea of what we think of wilderness, right? Barren, barren yeah. It's very barren, very wasteland. Um, I don't know if you're an adventurer like me, but I love getting out, and I love a good adventure. Anybody here, you love a good adventure? Like 10 of us, okay. All right, well, for the 10 of us, you're going to enjoy this. The rest of you, you're probably sitting there going, oh, yeah, really? I just... But I love being out in the wilderness. I love getting out. Me and my wife got a chance to move out to Oregon, go out west. If you've never been out west and seen these big open spaces, it just, it's breathtaking when you pull up to the Tetons and you go, wow, those are real. <laughs> you know, and when you stand on top of a huge mountain, we're not talking about mountains in Georgia. I learned quickly out, in, uh, out on the west coast that 
we don't have any mountains over here. Um, you know, and they're quick to tell you, no, that's not, that's, those aren't mountains. These are mountains. And when you stand on the top of one of those and you look and you can just see and see and see, it's amazing. And so love the opportunity to be out there. And, and um, you know, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all, right? And that what Helen Keller said? I mean, think about it. The, the lady's blind and her, her famous line is, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. Like, can you imagine the adventure she had every day to, to go forth into something she couldn't see? Like, everything was probably new. And uh, a, a quote that I've kind of grabbed on my life, adventure begins when the road ends. Think about that. That, that. that expresses me, if you want to know me, that's me in a nutshell. Adventure begins when the road ends. When chaos starts to be happening, I'm like, I'm like, buckle up, this is going to be good. <laughs> but... Uh, and so, you know, I find myself out in the wilderness a lot. I love it. And I remember one time that uh, when I was in college, I decided to go, just to go out into the woods. I was in Tennessee, and we had what I thought was mountains. And I like to go out into the mountains and hike and get away. And so I did the typical thing that most people do when they want to go out into the wilderness. I didn't tell anybody. And I just got in my car and drove, not knowing just driving. I know I want to go in this direction, and I go, and I drive, and I, I come to the, this road, and it ends, the pavement ends, and then it's dirt, and I'm like, yeah, how far does this go? And so we go until that one ends. And so here I am in the wilderness. Nobody knows where I'm at. Um, this is pre-cell phones, so. Um, and I find this trail in the woods, and I, I'm walking up the trail, and I find this amazing cleft in this rock. And so here I am at the top of this, this rock, uh, this mountain, kind of rock formation, and it's beautiful. And I start, you know, kind of getting my little campsite together for the night, and I go get me some wood so I can build a fire. And I find this awesome place that's in the cleft of this rock. And so here I am, I'm, I'm sheltered from the wind, I've got a fire, and it escapes, so it's not like choking me out in a cave or anything. And I, I'm sitting here, and I, and I open my Bible, and I just begin to read, and I, I begin to take time to meditate with God. And I wanted to get away from all that stuff because I wanted to try to steal away with God. And so here I am, out in the backwoods, I don't even know where, it was near Signal Mountain, Tennessee probably, and having just stealing away with God in the middle of the night, I to go to the bathroom. So I get up and go take care of my business and walk off from camp. And I did this, another great thing that you do when you go out into the wilderness. I totally forgot in a flashlight. Anybody, I don't ever do that. And so here I am, I'm out in the wilderness. I'm all by myself. Nobody knows where I'm at. I'm at the end of a road. I haven't met anybody. That was where I wanted to go. And it's the middle of the night. It's dark. And I have no flashlight. And so I start to walk back to my camp, and I step off the edge of the mountain and fall flat on my back, 30 feet. I remember laying there just going, it's probably the dumbest thing I've done in a long time. <laughs> but you know what? A lot of times when we get out in the wilderness, it scars us, doesn't it? I mean, now it's like I have to pay attention to what kind of bed I sleep on and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Because of that moment, you know, if I, if I play too hard, I, I, I bear it. You see, the wilderness has a way of scarring us, doesn't it? But see, let me submit to you today that the wilderness can also be a time of shaping where we come in one way and we leave totally changed. Where we enter in with one set of values or things in life, and we leave totally changed for the better. You see, the wilderness will shape you. The wilderness will form you. 
And I think this is the big thing we can capture from this idea of Adam is that he was shaped in the wilderness. And so here the story that Mark gives us is that once Jesus is being baptized, he gets up and immediately he goes into the wilderness. Because I can tell you that moment in the wilderness transformed my life. You see, maybe this morning you find yourself kind of in a spiritual wilderness. And maybe you feel like the wilderness has not been a place of victory, but a place of scarring. Um, I love what Dave shared this morning about the first time they came to Christ's chapel. Because like many of you, it's probably your story too. It was mine and my wife's story, first time we came here. There's many people that come to Christ's chapel the first time and you bear the scars of a wilderness. You bear the scars of being shaped and formed out in the backside of a country somewhere. And that was our story coming here. We had gone through, uh, we were on staff at a church and it had gotten very ugly. And um, went on our honeymoon and came back without a job. Like, how does that happen? You know. So here Jesus is, uh, verse 12, it says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And as we look at this, uh, this morning I want you to look to Deuteronomy 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. Because there's this idea that, that Jesus is the better Adam, that he went into the wilderness. He was formed and shaped in the wilderness. And that forming and shape him led him to a life. And that he's out in the wilderness, that he's formed and shaped, and then he's, he meets his adversary, the enemy. Now, if we know also, if we look back through, there's, this parallels another story in Scripture, where when Moses has taken the, the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, there's this 40 years that they spent, and there's 40 nights that Jesus spends in the wilderness. And so we're supposed to kind of pull this parallel together that Jesus is the better Moses, that in, he was led into the, the wilderness by the Spirit. And in the Spirit, in the wilderness, he went through this transition, the same as Israelites. But in Deuteronomy 8.23, we see this. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years, to humble you and to test you. Now catch that. I think that's a key part this morning. Remember how the Lord led you into the wilderness to humble you and to test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandment. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live by the bread alone, but by every word that comes out, comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now you'll find that interesting because that last little bit, you remember if you read another account of Jesus being tested in the wilderness when he was confronted by the enemy. And I'll tell you, one, one huge lesson that you learn quickly in the wilderness is that there are no shortcuts I don't know if you like, uh, you're like me. I like to watch these stories or read, read stories on, on TV um, or, you know, see the shows about people going into the wilderness who get it wrong. Because, you know, once you go in the wilderness, it's usually you have one of two outcomes, right? Either you have this epic moment, epic time, or it's an utter failure. Right? I don't know if, if, if you have that. I, I've got a hundred stories I could tell you of that. Uh, one time I was out in the wilderness in, in Oregon, and I actually got lost. I, I never get lost in the woods, but this was huge. And I was pre preparing to spend the night out in the woods. 
It was crazy. I didn't have anything to drink. I was dehydrated. That crazy story of how God sustained me through that. But when you enter the wilderness, it's either you're either getting shaped or you're having an awesome moment. I've never heard anybody who climbed Mount Everest go, yeah, yeah I shouldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you get up there and you see some of these things, you become amazed at the way this earth looks. When you get out in the desert, even sometimes, and you look and you see painted canyons, and you just are in awe of what God has built. You see, quickly we learn that there are no shortcuts in the wilderness. And here's Jesus in the wilderness, and Satan offers him a shortcut, doesn't he? Like, oh, you don't have to go through the way of the cross. The cross isn't what you need to walk through to get to God's plan. No, you can just do it my way. You know, in the wilderness, there's no shortcuts. I remember a story of a, of a young man who was hiking through the Appalachian Mountains. And I, I don't know if anybody here has done that hike. I have not. Um, I just can't think of spending two months walking through the woods. And, you know, if, if you ever take that, that hike, you have to plan out very detailed this hike. Because you cannot carry enough food and enough water to make that hike. And so what a lot of people will do is there's checkpoints along the trail. And at those checkpoints, you mail yourself food. And so this young man, he had a great idea. He was going to do this hike for hunger. And he was going to go do a hike, the whole Appalachian Trail. And he was kind of going to do this to raise an awareness for hunger. And so this young man gets out on this trail and he's all out by himself. And he actually chose to go in a time of year where people are not during the winter where there's not a lot of people who, who hike this trail. And this is a young man who never hiked this trail before. He thought it'd be a great idea. And so he, he's writing this story and he, he talks about how he gets on this trail and all of a sudden he's realized he didn't pack enough food. And he's looking and he's going, well, the next stop is so many miles away. It's days away. And he would go to the next point and he would get his food rations, and he was, he was like, yeah, great. And he would start off again, and he realized that he did not prepare enough food. And the irony thing, the ironic thing for this story for me is that this guy goes out on a, on a hiking trip to raise awareness for hunger and ends up losing 50 pounds because he didn't pack enough food. <laughs> I just, I laugh. I'm like, that is hilarious because it wasn't his plan. But see, the thing is, in the wilderness, there's no shortcuts. And the wilderness is where we are shaped. You see, God isn't working to shape your actions, but rather your heart. We read that in Deuteronomy. This isn't, God isn't looking just to shape what you do, but who you are. And in the wilderness, there is a testing, there is a shaping, but that testing and that shaping is to get to the heart and the core of who we are. So in those moments, who we are might be revealed so that who he is can step in. You see, he isn't shaping who you are because the interesting thing is you'll notice that in this story and in these other stories, if you look at the Egypt, they're in Egypt, they're in slave bondage. Here Moses comes and he goes before Pharaoh and he says, you got to let these people go. And Pharaoh's like, who are you? He goes, I'm just a messenger from God, but I'm telling you, God said you need to let them go. And he goes, no, I'm God. And Moses is like, all right. Here we go. And then so we have a series of second plagues. And Pharaoh's still sitting there going, no, I'm God. Until the seventh one when Pharaoh's oldest son dies. Because Pharaoh thought he was God. 
And that meant if he's God, then his son that follows him is God too. And so, wow, God just showed up. And so Pharaoh decides to let him go. And so here is Israel, the, the nation of Israel. They're leaving Egypt, and all of a sudden, this is a cool story to me, the, the Egyptians start to give them their, all this treasure. They start to give them gold, and they start to give them all this am, amount of stuff to take with them. And so here is, these people are walking out of, they're like, man, I was a slave, and now I'm wealthy, I'm rich. Oh, God, you're so good. And there's this high that they step out onto, right? And here's Jesus. He comes and he gets baptized, and he comes up, and the Spirit comes down and rests on him. And the Father speaks from heaven, and I can't imagine the elation in this moment. And then what happens? Because here's the value in this, church. We will have high moments in our life where God comes down and he's honest and we feel it and we understand and we have this revelation and we have this deep word from God and then all of a sudden right after that comes a wilderness. Come on. How many times has that happened to you? And Mark puts this in here, I believe, because he wants us to pause and take a deep look at the little details that he puts down so that we open the picture a little bigger. We go, you know what? That's this is my story too. Yeah. As soon as it feels like I step into what God has for me. Maybe, maybe you've, you've had a ministry. You're like, oh, God, I, yeah, I'm going to go do this ministry. And you step out and day one, you do it and it starts and it's great. And then day two, you're like, did, did I mess up? Did I do this wrong? Like, what did I, what did I get wrong? It's kind of like Pastor John was talking about this morning when, when God pulls his peace back some, right? And so church, if we look at this this morning, this should encourage us, right? Because we've walked in this. This should help us grow in this, right? We should be seeing this and we should go, all right, yes, let me remind myself again. Let me remind myself again. Let me remind myself again that this isn't a God who abandons his people. This isn't a God who then sets us up for failure. This isn't a God who asks something of us and then abandons us and walks away. But what is of value is when we step into these wildernesses, what becomes our response? What becomes of us then? Because the Spirit will lead us into the wilderness. And He will lead us into a wilderness to experience His provision. You see, the thing is, when we step out into the wilderness, we experience isolation and desolation. We experience hunger. We experience weakness. We experience temptation. But catch this. The Holy Spirit led Christ into the wilderness to be tempted, but God did not tempt him. But he led him there to be tempted. And God's going to lead you to the end of you every time. He's going to lead you to where you end. Your road will end and the adventure will begin. This will be your journey, church. And I know it does, it's not a shout hallelujah moment, right? Because nobody wants to think of going into the, the wilderness as a horrible thing. But let me tell you, church, sometimes the wilderness can be beautiful. Sometimes the wilderness can be a solace. It can be a good retreat. It can be a welcoming moment. But often the shaping is not fun, is it? It's hard sometimes, isn't it? 
You see, the Spirit wasn't sent to destroy Christ, but rather to prove Him and to prove Him sinless. You see, it was must needed that Jesus would walk into this wilderness and confront his most, the biggest enemy that he had. It was a must that he went and do this. And do this. It was a necessity. And he did it with great enthusiasm. And he did it with the Spirit leading him in a charge. I mean, how often is it that we enter the wilderness with a charge, right? <laughs> if we're honest, right? The Spirit leads us in the wilderness to prove our hearts and to bring sanctification so that we may have peace in the midst of chaos, that you will be content with little or none. He does it to give you a heart that worships to a closed heaven and a tenacity to pray even when there's no answer. We need these wilderness moments. We need these times of shaping and refining in our lives. And here we have a picture of Jesus going into this because the first man failed at it. The second man, they failed at it. But here is Jesus going into the wilderness and he's victorious. Amen? Here is Jesus going into the wilderness and he begins to create a path for us. I want to tell you, folks, if you're going into the wilderness, you need a guide. Because if you go without a guide... You're much, you're, it, your chances <laughs> And Jesus is our guide. You see, the wilderness will reveal who we are because our response reveals who we are. And God will reveal who we are. Deuteronomy 8, he led them there to test their hearts so that they may know who they are. It will reveal who we are. And so I want us to kind of look in these last few minutes of Israel's response in the wilderness. You see, because when Israel left Egypt, Pharaoh chased them. And here is Israel. You've got to see this picture. There's a, a million people massively moving in a line, and they think they're good and they're free, and they come up to this sea that's impassable, and they look back, and here comes an army pursuing them to kill them. Now, when you step out in the wilderness, you begin to feel this sense of isolation and desolation. And Israel felt that. And they cried out, God, did you bring us here to die? You know, there's that moment in when we step out into the wilderness that we often go, God, what are you doing? You ever had that? You're in that moment, you're like, God, what are you doing? But the beauty of that picture is God's response to Israel, he says, stand firm in God's salvation and watch for his revelation. He said, stand firm and see what I'm going to do. And when we step out in the wilderness, the first thing we need to do, church, is we need to look at this and we need to go, all right, I'm going to stand firm in my salvation and I'm going to stand firm in the revelation of who God is. Because they had just seen a huge revelation of who God was. And it wasn't only... A few hours later that they look back and go, oh God, you're giving up on me. You're going to kill us. Is that our response sometimes too? I know it's mine. I, I know there's been times that I just look back and I go, God, why? Like what? I remember sitting in this church for the first few times and just think, God, why did you cut me? 
why did you do this to me? Like, why did you, I thought I was doing your will. I thought I was in your way. I thought I was doing what you called me to do. I thought I was being obedient. I thought I was doing, and we have all these, I, God, I was all right. I did everything right, God. But you, I mean, you, uh, come on, if we're honest, right? I, I'm, I'm honest, I, I did. I looked at God and I said, God, I was right, you were wrong. And praise God, we have a loving Father, amen? <laughs> who is gracious and kind to us. Who then gently leads me and goes, he goes, come on, come on. Stand firm in your salvation. Stand firm in the revelation that you've already received from me. And here I was, a young man who felt called to the ministry. I had gone out. I was a youth pastor in a church and my youth ministry had exploded and I had young people were getting saved left and right and God was just doing crazy things. He had given me money to do a, a youth service in the high school with rent-free, with government money. And so here I am with free money to do a youth service to preach the gospel in the high school for free. I'm going, man, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, all that was ripped out from underneath me. And here I'm going, God, what? Why? And here Israel is, is they're, they're, they've seen this huge revelation of who God is. And then they're standing in front of the Red Sea, and instead of standing going, all right, God, you got this. Y'all y'all watch. Y'all watch. Come on, watch. God's about to do He ain't left us. Come on, church. He ain't left us. Watch what he's about to do. Where was that person? So this church this morning, I'm going to ask you, where's that person? Because you're here. You're in this church. You've walked in victory. You've walked through some crazy things that God has brought you through. Come on. And you're standing in salvation going, all right, God, I'm, I'm, you, you got me. I, I don't have me, but you got me. And you're standing firm in the revelation going, all right, God, you've done it, and I know you'll do it. But you know what the problem is? Is there's a million other people around us going... Oh, God, I'm just scared. And we need to stand strong and stand firm and go, y'all watch and see? Yep. I, I, my pastor's having to do this every Sunday because we look at this building and we're like, what was it, like $50,000 so far this year? I don't know, some crazy number we've had to maintenance on this building. And the typical eye would go, oh, God, did you just bring us here to crumble us underneath the weight of this? We go, no, 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 you watch. God's got this. God's got this. Y'all just watch and see. I know, I know it looks crazy right now, but hang on. Hang on. It's chaos. Everybody's screaming. The children are going crazy. The animals are loud. Here comes a big old army. God's got this. So I, I asked you, church, this morning, what's going to be our response, right? Because God's bringing us here for a response. God brings us to these moments for a response, Right? And so here is Israel, God parts the sea, they walk through it, they get to the other side. Man, can you imagine the miracle? Can you imagine the elation that you would be feeling in that moment? Can you imagine the elation you felt in your heart when God has done something a miracle for you? And then what happens when you get down the road a little bit? God says, I caused them to hunger so that I could give them food that they had no knowledge of. How many times have we go, God, would you give me food I have no knowledge of? God, would you be my sustenance? Would you be my nourishment? Would you provide for me everything I need? 
So here's Israel in the, in the wilderness and they, begin, they get started to get hungry. And then they go, did God bring us out here to starve to death? It's another one of those moments where we look up at God and go, I got it right, you got it wrong. And we point our finger at God and go, did you bring us out here to die from hunger? Because the real question we have to ask ourselves, is God withholding from me? And the answer is yes. God will withhold from you. Why? Because he wants to make you hungry. Why would he want to make you hungry? So that you go, God, <laughs> Papa, Papa, I'm hungry. Come on, can you fill me up? So do we go, Papa, fill me up. Papa, I'm hungry. Papa, it's been a while. It's been a while since we sat together. It's been a while since I heard you sing over me. Zephaniah 3. Some of y'all don't believe God sings over us. Zephaniah 3 says he does. When was the last time you sat and heard God sing over you praises? Sing songs of victory over your heart and your life. When was the last time you sat and you just heard God whisper sweet things to you? No, you're probably sitting in a desert somewhere going, oh, if he would just feed me, he's going to bring me out here to starve. But yet, but again, we have a gracious father, don't we? I mean, this is the first lie in the garden, wasn't it? Satan comes to Eve and he says, you know what? God's just withholding from you. That tree right there, it's all you ever dreamed of. It will, it will be your wildest dreams come true. And Eve's like, really? Oh, why would God want to keep this from me? <laughs> it's the oldest lie in his book that God is withholding from you. Yes, God is withholding from you, but it is for your better. It is for your good. He said, I'm going to test them to see if they will live according to my teachings or not. This was the reason why God had brought them to hunger. And there's Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days without food. His flesh got hungry. I don't, you can't what, survive more than three days without water and here he is 40 days? Hmm. But they were brought to this place of hunger in church. If you're hungry this morning, have you complained that God hasn't provided? Or have you cried out and you said, God, I'm hungry. Oh, God, that you would come and, and feed me. Oh, God, that you would come and show up. Oh, that your manna would rain down. When was the last time you opened your word, the word of God, and it just was rich and brought you to tears? Oh, God, that you would make us hungry. Oh, God, that you would cause us to hunger for you. Because this was God's response. He said, in the morning, you will see the glory of God. And this is a beautiful part. He follows that. He says, come near, come near. In the morning, when you get up and you come near, you will see my glory. And when they got up in the morning, where they looked out, and it was the, the ground glistened. And they go and they pick it up, and it, the Bible explains this as like a wafer with honey. And they would put it in their mouth and it would be sweet and nourishing. The food of angels is what they called it. And so here they are. They've walked through the Red Sea. They've grumbled against God that he would bring them out there to die. They're hungry. God, did you bring us out to here to kill us? And so now they're thirsty. And again, the beautiful picture is this is us, isn't it? <laughs> I read this, oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. And then we do it, right? 
But we have a gracious father, praise God. Then they accuse Moses. Moses, did you bring us out here to die of thirst? See, Israel tested God. Is God with us or not? Does he hear us? Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to be in this wilderness moment in your life and you're going to be wondering, oh God, where are you? You'll be praying and nothing. The heaven is brass. There is no response. There's no rain. You'll be praying and and you just don't feel it. And the question is, is, do we have the tenacity to keep praying or do we give up? Do we have the tenacity to keep drawing near to God or do we go, okay, I'll just wait. This is where Moses hits the rock and <clears throat> this is the first time he hits it when God commanded him to. And the beauty is, is that God has already paid the price for what we need. He's already paid the price for our atonement. And if you're here this morning and you find yourself in the middle of a wilderness and maybe, maybe you feel called to a, a ministry, but that door hasn't opened yet. Or maybe you find yourself, you've been in a ministry a long, term, long time and it has just been dry and flaky and dead and lifeless. And you're praying, God, would you just do something? And he's not. Or maybe you have a wayward child and you've been praying, God, would you just bring them home? And he hasn't. And so here they are at the moment. They've walked through the Red Sea. They've been hungry. They've been thirsty. They've questioned God. And now they're weak and they're tired. And then guess what happens? Here comes the Amalekites. An enemy, the enemy, the sworn enemy of Israel comes up against them. This is Esau's brother, the descendants of Esau. And I'd love to get into this now, but I'm not. This is a really cool kind of deal of why it matters so much that in this picture, the Amalekites come against the Israel. This is their greatest enemy. And you're going to find yourself in the, in the wilderness and in these lonely times, in this time where God's apart from you, or you feel desperate, that the enemy is going to come after you. He's going to come in your weakest moment. He's going to come in your most tired moment. He's going to come when you're not making good decisions. He's going to come when you're not feeling right with God. And God's response is to utterly destroy the enemy. And our response is, God, how can I? I'm so tired. How can I, God? I'm worn out. How can I, God? This has been going on too long. And he goes, stand in my strength. Stand in my provision. Stand in this revelation that I've given you, that I have not abandoned you, that I have not left you, that what God requires, he provides Guys, we will go into this wilderness so that we can learn that lesson that what God requires, he provides. That he makes us hungry so that he could feed us. He makes us thirsty so that he could give us water that will never run dry. He brings us to our enemy so that he can be our victor. If we never see our enemy, we'll never see our victor. That was good for somebody. Come on. If we never see our enemy, we'll never see our victor. God commanded him to totally destroy it, to write it as a reminder. I want to tell you, church, if you have been down this road, have you written this down as a reminder? Is this something that you remind yourself of often? Because it's a command of God. I love to go back through my old journals. 
I love rereading these things because I'll forget. And then I read them and go, oh, man, I forgot that God did that. That is awesome. I forgot that this was going on in my life at this time. And wow, this has been there. You see, the Amalekite is this voice of reason, this tendency towards cynicism. This is what the Amalekite represents in us. And the Bible in Deuteronomy says that that amount that the Amalekites, they happened upon you on the way. And this is really cool. This translation, I can't, I'm going to butcher this word, but I'm going to try these words. Asher, Korcha, Badurch, I don't know. I, I know one, one language and I'm very bad at it, so sorry. <laughs> but if you translate, this means that you were pursued, that he happened upon you on the way, which means he came to cool you off. I'm going to tell you why this is such a huge enemy in our life. Because we will have these moments with God where we feel like we can run through hell. Some of you just got through that with Trace Diaz. We will go through these moments where we feel like we can take on the it, hell itself. And all of a sudden, out of that, here comes our greatest enemy to cool off our passions. Come on, you've had those moments. Where you are on fire for God. You are burning with a fire for God and a passion. You're ready to go save the world. And then a week later, you're... All that passion's gone. All that stirring is dead. All that that God did within you is gone. You see, this is the enemy that Christ came to destroy. Revelations 2, he said, he judges the church of Laodicea because they had become lukewarm. He goes, I'll spew out of my mouth. I'd much rather you be hot or cold. Like, one or the other, choose. But don't be in the middle of the road. And our greatest enemy, he's come, and he's come to cool us off. He's come to make us cynical or complacent or, I don't like the way they did that song. You know, I would do a little different. Or, John, how many sermons do you have? Are you just preaching the same time over and over, right? Like this is the cynicalism that brings us in here instead of going, God, do you have a word for me? God, I'm hungry this morning. I want to hear from you. I want to be stirred in the deep parts of me. As deep calls the deep, I want to be stirred. I don't want just a shallow faith. I want to be moved in the depths of me that I would cry out, Abba, Father. When was the last time that was us? When was the last time it was me? When was the last time I woke up in the morning melting in tears because God had given me another day to be with him? Deuteronomy 25, 18 says, Do not forget what the Malachites did to you on the road after you left Egypt, how they attacked you when you were tired, barely able to put one foot in front of the other, mercilessly cut off your stragglers and had no regard for God. You know, this happened on the journey, and this will happen on your journey with God, that you will be attacked when you're tired, when you're at your weakest, when you're emotionally and spiritually and morally feeling alone or depressed, or that you're barely able, you're in less control of your senses and your decisions. The enemy will come after you. But the beauty is this, the enemy will come, but our victor will be there. Amen? Let's stand in the strength and the goodness of God. You see, because the lineage of 
the Malachites come from this. There's a woman in the Bible, her name is Timnah, and she's a foreigner. And the Bible says that she wanted the blessings of Israel. And so she married Esau. This is the problem. She wanted the blessings of Israel, yet married Esau, which was not under God's provision. She didn't go after his brother Jacob. She didn't look to get in that line. She wanted to get in the line that was close enough. Because there is this appearance of godly list, but denying the power thereof. There is this, I want to be seen as good, but I don't want to be in love with God. I want to be valued as a Christian. I want to have good networks for my business and, and have, you know, deal with good people, but I don't want to really sacrifice for God. I don't want to lay it all down for him. This is the attitude that God wants to destroy in us. Because this is an attitude that's beyond repair. Because it opposes godliness. It's entirely egocentric, even though it's dressed up in an act of devotion to God. You see, there is an, a seed that can grow in the most extreme acts of faithfulness. But it has no desire for God. And he wants to cut that off. And we are to kill off anything that steals from our passion from God. But here's the beauty, and I'm going to give you this. I want you to go home and read Psalm 63. I don't really have the time this morning for doing this, but Psalm 63 as I read Psalm 63, I can't help but see Jesus crying this out in the wilderness. This was Jesus' response in the wilderness. And so we saw the picture of what Israel did in the wilderness. We know that Adam was formed in the wilderness, yet fell to temptation. We know that Moses was led into the wilderness, but they failed when tested. And here is Jesus being led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tested by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels took care of him is what the Bible says in Mark. But here in isolation in verse one of Psalm 63, he says, earnestly I seek you. When Jesus was isolated, when he was in a desolate place, he didn't look to his surroundings. He said, earnestly I seek you, Father. In verse 3, he says, because your steadfast love is better than life. Verse 8, he didn't cling to his own life, but rather he clinged to his father. He says, my soul clings to you. This was Jesus' response in a desolate and isolated place. It wasn't, oh man, this is bad. Oh, the enemy's coming. Oh, this and that. I don't have anything to eat. I, no, his response was, oh God, I look to you. My soul cries out to you. In hunger, verse 1, my soul and my flesh faints. My soul, verse 5, will be satisfied as with the fat of rich food. In weakness, verse 6, I will remember, I will meditate. Verse 7, you have been my help. In temptation, verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding who you are. This wasn't I'm looking, this was I have looked. This was, I know it's dim. I know it's not good right here in my current situation. But 
I have looked upon your beauty. I have looked upon you sitting on the throne. I have seen your majesty, and that's where I'm going to rest my hopes. That's where I'm going to rest my now. That's where I'm going to rest my future. And when he battled with evil, verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life, this is him looking forward to the cross, he shall, they shall be given over to the sword, Revelations 19. You see, the wilderness is where is a place of growth. And this is where God grows his kingdom. Not only where he grows us, but he grows his kingdom. Now there's a cooler thing that happens as Mark goes further down into this uh, narrative that Jesus begins his ministry and then he goes out and he calls his disciples. Now catch this parallel. I, I hope you can see this this morning, the parallel that Mark is saying that Jesus is the better Adam, that he's the better Moses. Why? Because here's what Adam did, here's what Moses did, but here's what Jesus did. These two failed at it, this one completed it. But not only is the wilderness a place that God is growing us, this is a place where he grows his kingdom. After they had defeated the Amalekites, Moses said for days, the Bible says for days that he sat in front of the people and judged them. And Jethro, his father, had to come up and go, dude, really? You're that fool yourself. Really? You're going to sit here and judge all these people just all day long. He says, have you lost your mind? Why don't you pick out men who are able and competent to come alongside you? And Moses is like, yeah, that's a great idea. And so we have the 12 tribes of Israel that begin to set up. And so they begin to set up their men in rankings and orders so that they can judge through these cases. And then what does Jesus do as soon as he leaves the wilderness? He begins his ministry and he goes and calls his first disciples. You see, the wilderness will grow. God will grow his ministry through the wilderness. If you have, are here this morning and you have walked through a wilderness... My question to you is, have you taken the next step? Are you leading leaders? Are you training up someone? Are you pouring down into another life? Are you leading others up to go where you've been? Because you know what happens here in the, in, with, book of, with Moses? You know where they go after this? They go to Mount Sinai. You see, Mount Sinai, the wilderness will lead us to be true worshipers. Because if you have walked through all that, and you have seen your God display himself, then guess you're going to have a response. You're going to worship one of two things. You're going to take all your treasures that God gave you, and you're going to worship a golden calf, or you're going to take all these experiences of who God is, and you're going to worship him. But we say, oh, I would never worship a golden calf. That's what Israel said too. You see, God will lead us into the wilderness to test us so that he may reveal our weakness, so that he may exhaust our resources and confront us with our darkest evil. Brooke, if you'll come on up. God will lead us into the wilderness. This is so that he may give us a pure heart with right and humble motives. They will cause us to behold him and his strength in his life to prove his exhaustible resources and to destroy our greatest enemy. 
You see, the beauty of this gospel narrative is it's not about us. It's not about Adam. It's not about Moses. It's not about David. It's not about Joshua. It's not about Pastor John. It's not about me. It's about him. Because Jesus is better. Not only is he better than anything this world has to offer, but he's better than any man that has walked this earth. And he's come, and he has been our victor, and he has won, and he has overcome, and he has taken on the enemy. And in every way, the Bible says, he became like us. He took on the mantle of fleshliness, lowered himself, humbled himself, so that he could come and be acquainted with your sufferings. Isaiah calls him the man of sorrows. You know why he did that? He did that so this morning, because you're sitting there, you're going... Life is just not what I wanted it to be. It's not what I pictured. Or you're looking and you're seeing your sorrows and you see the wayward child and you go, I, I just, I don't have any words anymore. Or you're looking at your mess ups and you're going, God, I just can't get this right. Or maybe you look at your apathy this morning and you just go, yeah, it's been a while since I hungered for God. It'll be okay. But the beauty of this picture is, is that Jesus came and he did it and he did it right. And he stepped into our narrative. He stepped into our story. He came to us. He pursued us. He came into our situation so that he could lift us out of it. He walked through our wildernesses so he could be a victor in them. Why? Just so he could stand victorious? No, no church. So that he could take us through ours. So that we could come through victorious. So that we could stand on the other side and go, praise God. I love you, Jesus. Praise God you've been faithful. So we could say, yes, I will. So we could say, oh, God has not abandoned me. God has not left me. God has been here. God has proven himself faithful. You know why? So we can look to the next generation and go, come on, you got this. Come on. You got this. Come on, you got this. Come on, you got this. Come on, you got this. And can I say, church, this morning, dare I say this, that we may be standing at a crossword where God's going, what's next? Because we've walked through wildernesses. Come on. You've walked there. But the question is, is who's next? Who are we going to take with us? Who are we pulling along with us? Because I can tell you, I'm looking over this world right now and I'm shaking my head. You know, the next generation isn't just for youth pastors. It's not just for children's pastors. The loss just isn't for missionaries. The gospel isn't just to be preached by pastors. Amen. I hope this is encouraging to you this morning. I want to invite you back tonight. I want to look at Jesus being baptized and why that's important and why that matters. That Jesus will be baptized, that it was a baptism of repentance. It's kind of confusing if you don't really open the picture up. 
But church, I want to ask us this morning, I want us to end in kind of a, a prayer and a, a call to action so that as we go, are we going, God, what's next? Or are we just going, whatever? Are we hopeful? Are we prayerful? Are we anticipating? Are we? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you that it challenges us, it quickens us. I hope it has. But God, we, you took us through these wildernesses, God, not that we could forget about them. God, you took us through these wildernesses, not that we could be apathetic. But God, you've called us to worship you. You took us through the wilderness so that we would worship you. God, you took us through the wilderness so that we could take our children into the promised land. God, you took us through the wilderness so you could shape us for your will and for your purpose. God, can I confess sometimes I forget that? God, can I confess that sometimes I get a little apathetic? And God, this morning, can I pray that you would stir those memories in our hearts? That we remember you're faithful. God, that you would stir in us, God, a, a hunger again for your provisions. God, a hunger for your nourishing, a hunger for your leading, a hunger for your presence. God, a hunger, God, to train the next generation. God, that you would stir these in us that we wouldn't have just walked through a wilderness that it would have been for nothing, God, but that it would be that you would take us into the next step of what you have in front of us. And God, this morning we say, yes, I will. Yes, I will. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. All right. I love you, church. Thank you for being with us this morning. Y'all be blessed.